Well, welcome again to church. So glad you're here, especially those of you in the building or watching online. Maybe it's your first time to connect with us or to be here at Vibrant Church, and we're so glad that you're hanging out with us. In fact, we just want to give you a big welcome. Come on, church. Welcome those that are here are logging on for the first time. So glad that you're with us. And uh, before we get into the word today, let me just uh, let you know that, as you probably already know, we're, we are online on Facebook Live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I've been doing a lot of teaching on Facebook Live, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. I just finished an entire series on Wednesday night on the book of James, and it was just a phenomenal, man, phenomenal time that we had a lot of great feedback in that series. This Wednesday night, I wanna encourage you to log on 7 p.m. Wednesday night, Facebook Live at Vibrant Church, our, our Facebook page there. I'm gonna be live, and there's a word that's just turning in my heart that I wanna share with you that I really believe is gonna encourage your faith. I really believe it's gonna speak to some areas of your life that you need the Lord to strengthen. And so if you need a midweek refuel, which I'm sure we all do, join us online, Facebook Live, 7 p.m. this Wednesday night. And again, I wanna welcome you to our series on Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. The book of Revelation, this has been a, a fascinating uh, series for me. I have enjoyed thoroughly studying through this and, and really uh, opening some things up in a book that is really very complicated to many people to understand. It's a very intriguing book. It's a, it's a very mysterious book. It has a lot of, uh, uh, of pictures and symbols and, and, and different mystique to it that's very hard sometimes to filter, very hard to get clarity on, but I don't believe that God wanted his word to be complicated. How many believe he wants to reveal himself to us, right? And so that's why we've been exposing this book and really deep diving into it because I, I don't think it's been more relevant to where we are than right now more than ever in our history. All the stuff going on in our world, I mean, it is just chaos what's happening, and it seems like it's getting more unhinged by the day. It seems like tensions are rising, the mercury is rising by the day. The instability is increasing by the day. The fear factor, the anxiety is increasing rapidly by the day. I can sit here and give you statistics that I've been looking at this week on uh, how the, uh, the, the behaviors, the, the, the social behaviors that are the negative behaviors, the destructive behaviors in our culture are rapidly multiplying. Alcoholism is up 225% since the, book, uh, since the, uh, the, the beginning of, of COVID. I can sit here and name all kinds of, of destructive issues that are careening out of control in our, in our society right now. So we're looking around and people have been asking, man, are we in the last days? And the answer is, yeah. We've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven. Can I get an amen somebody in the room? Are y'all with me? How many, how many know Jesus is coming again soon? Amen, everybody. And so we understand that, but what we do see here in 2020 and now kind of turning the corner toward 2021 we are seeing a lot of the, the prophecies of scripture regarding the end times are starting to snowball effect faster and bigger than ever before. And I really believe that we are in the 11th hour before the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that this is the generation that I believe we can see the return of Christ. It could be an enormous, it should be a blessing to you and you should feel very honored that out of all human history, God chose you and selected you to be alive during this hour right now. So I don't care what's happening in our world, God's purposes are going to prevail and God's people will be preserved through whatever. Can you say amen, everybody? So that's what's kind of birthed this whole study on the book of Revelation is just 
the fact that we are in the end times, let's find out what God has to say about where we're headed. Where is all this going toward? And so we've been talking about it. And if you've noticed, Revelation is a book of tension. Have you noticed that? It's a book of a lot of tension. Some of you every week are sitting here going, <laughs> like, <laughs> what's gonna happen next? You know, it's just a book of tension. You ever watched a movie where the tension just keeps building and building, right? Some of you, that's how holidays are in your family, right? The tension just keeps building and building. You know, no, so somebody's gonna say the wrong thing and nobody can say the right thing. It's just the tension. For some of you, that's how your workplace is. The tension just builds and builds and builds, right? It's that feeling like a rubber band. The tension just keeps building and building and stretching tighter and tighter and it feels like it's gonna snap at any minute. That's how the book of Revelation is. As you read through this book, the tension just keeps building. It's one of the most dramatic books that God wrote. It's one of the most dramatic books that you'll ever read in your lifetime. In the book of Revelation, you start out with these incredible experiences of worship, but then the tension starts to build. And you have these seals that are open and tragedy comes upon the earth. And then you have these trumpets that sound and more tragedies. And then you have these bowls that are poured out of God's wrath upon the earth. And you have these riveting stories of, of Satan and Babylon the Great and these powerful beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophet that come and, and enslave mankind and all these wars that cover the whole planet. The tension just keeps building until you get to Revelation 19. Oh, I'm so glad you came to church today. I'm so glad because the last several weeks have, have been some pretty bad news. The last several weeks we've been looking at, you, you don't want to be on this earth when all that stuff happens. We've been looking at some dark and terrible horrors over the past several weeks, but today, as we look at Revelation chapter 19 and 20, we're gonna look at some incredible things that God has in store for the end of time. And get ready, because God has a different ending to things than we would ever expect. Today, as we begin to look at, at his different endings, even if you are familiar with end time events, there's probably gonna be some things that surprise you today. Like, why did God do it that way? And we're gonna answer, uh, we're gonna answer some of those questions. But even more than that, it's the excitement in Revelation chapter 19. This incredible release of tension that happens when all of creation comes back and gives him praise because his answer is the final answer. There's, there's a single word that we're gonna see in Revelation 19, and it's repeated again and again and again, and it's a tension-releasing word. It's a word that says all the praise and all the glory goes to God. It's the word hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I did not say to say hallelujah. I want you to say it like, man, all pray. I don't care what's happening in the world, pandemic, civil unrest, economy shattered, political tension. I don't care what's happening out there. All praise, glory goes to God. Come on, everybody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. There we go. Whew, did you feel that? It's that release of tension. In Revelation 19 and 20, it talks to us about four great end time events. And these are end time events that we all need to understand what they are and we need to understand what they mean. And these four events are very simple. We're gonna talk about the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're gonna talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's not the rapture of the church, by the way. We interchange that term Second coming of Christ. That, that, the rapture has nothing to do with the second coming of Christ. In the rapture, Jesus is not coming anywhere. The Bible says that his people are going to meet him in the air. 
The second coming of Christ is when Jesus comes back physically to the earth. He is coming again someday. He came first as a lamb, but can I tell you the next time he comes, he's coming as the lion. The first time he came as a servant, this time he's coming as a king. Come on, somebody. He's coming again. We're gonna talk about it today, about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The third in time event is one that I think is, confuses a lot of people through the book of Revelation, and that is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus in the earth. And then there's a place called the great white throne judgment that we're gonna look at today. Now, to understand human history and what's happening in our lives right now in 2020, you gotta understand it from the end to the beginning as well as from the beginning to the end. And the Bible helps us to do both. So if I wanna understand human history, I better understand the book of Genesis and what happened at the beginning because I can't understand human history if I don't understand what happened at the beginning. And if I wanna understand human history, I've got to not only look and understand the book of Genesis, but I also have to flip over and I really need to understand the book of Revelation also. I've gotta understand what happens at the end to put to light what's happening in our lives right now and where all of this fits. And these great events that God talks about in these chapters bring some incredible light to what's happening in our lives today. And you'll notice that there are these hallelujahs that are sung in chapter 19. And praise God, I mean, what a relief. The tension releases from what we've been talking about and we see a multitude singing hallelujah. Then we see 24 elders sing hallelujah. Then there's a voice from heaven that says, or from the throne that says hallelujah. This one word, this one word, this, this, this praise to God word that says, you know what? His plan is the plan that's gonna reign for all of time. And then right out of these first hallelujahs, we come to the very first event of four we're going to talk about today. Write this down in your notes. We're going to look at the wedding supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 19, we see this incredible event that's going to happen in heaven, and I want to show it to you. Uh, we're going to look at Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10, and here's what John said. He said, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude. Help me out, everybody. They were shouting what? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just is his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged her on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the sound of peals of thunder shouting what? Hallelujah. For our Lord, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Watch this. For the wedding of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Notice this, we're gonna come back to it. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. 
At this I fell to his feet to worship him, but he said, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And everybody said, amen. In fact, to understand this, you can go to Ephesians chapter five and the apostle Paul explains exactly what is happening here. In fact, I'll show you in Ephesians five, verse 25, Paul said, husbands, love your wives. Help me out just as how? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church or a vibrant church. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Y'all see what I did there? <laughs> As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so when the Bible talks about this great wedding supper of the lamb, we understand that the lamb is Jesus. He is the groom. And the bride that's presented to Jesus is the church. And so there's this incredible wedding between Jesus and the church. And the Bible tells us a couple of things that are gonna happen in this wedding regarding the bride, which is us, by the way. And can I just tell you, I don't want you to miss this, can I just tell you that we are the church. A building is not the church. The church is people, not a building. Jesus didn't die for a building, he died for people. People are the church. We are part of those whom God is making ready for this great event at the end of time. There's a couple of things about the bride, which is us, of Jesus Christ, the church. First of all, write this down. The bride is prepared. Everybody say prepared. prepared. Come on, it takes preparation for a bride to get ready for an event. Always takes preparation for a bride. Men, we have no clue the preparation it takes for a bride to be ready for the wedding. I'm telling you, brides prepare weeks, months, even years. They've been preparing since they were five years old for this event, which bankrupts the bride's father. Preparation has gone into this. We guys don't know anything about it. We just show up. Like us men, as the groom, all we have one job, just show up and smile. That's all we gotta do, is just show. She is the one preparing. In fact, I was doing a little research on, on this bridal preparation. I looked up how many magazines out there are written for brides. And I, I, I listed some of them, I'm gonna tell you, but there was more, I couldn't even list them. First of all, there's Brides Magazine, there's Modern Brides Magazine, there's Today's Bride Magazine. There's Elegant Bride magazine. There's Bride Again magazine. There's New Jersey Bride magazine. There's Camp Cod Bride. There's Metro St. Louis Bride magazine. I'm telling you, there are so many Bride magazines. And did you know, there ain't one magazine for grooms. Not one. Do you know why? Because we ain't got nothing to do with it. All we gotta do is show up and smile. Because brides take time to get themselves ready. Come on, if you know what I'm saying, say amen somebody, right? And the Bible says that that's what we are doing as a church. 
Watch this. We're spending all of human history as a church preparing for this great day to come of the wedding of the lamb and the bride. Wow. Now let's get practical. Why is this wedding going to happen? Well, why does any wedding happen? The right reason for a wedding to happen is the reason that this wedding is happening. It's because somebody loves somebody. The groom loves the bride, and the bride loves the groom. This wedding's gonna happen because Jesus loves his church more than you could ever imagine. He wants relationship with us as his church, as his people, deeper and better and fuller than we could even fathom in this world today. He gives us this picture at the end of time of what this is gonna be like. It's the greatest picture that we can come across of intimacy in a relationship with one another at this wedding that's going to happen. And listen, the bride, the church, is right now preparing herself for this incredible event. So not only is she prepared, but write this down, the bride is also honored. Everybody say honored. I like this. The bride is honored. In fact, I want to show you. Let's go back to verse 8 of this passage. It says this, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And, and, and so God made sure that we didn't miss what this meant. He adds in here, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings over the years. And, and, and honestly, I get a different view of, of weddings than you probably do. Because I stand up front and I see what happens at the wedding. And there's always a moment in every wedding, and you know what it is. You stand when that moment comes. That's how important this moment is. The, the, you know, the groom just sort of snuck in the side door and he's standing up there. Nobody even knows he came in. They don't even care about him, right? He just kind of showed up there and he's standing up. But then all of a sudden, the music stops. And then the music starts again with this grand music and the doors in the back swing open and the bride is standing there. And what happens? Everyone stands up and everyone turns toward her. It's like the whole world stops for a moment for that one person, that one moment. Why? To honor her. Friends, can I tell you that there's going to come a moment in heaven one day when all of creation will stop and all of heaven and earth and all of creation will stand, all the angels, even the Son of God himself will stand to honor what God has done in and through his church to honor the righteous acts of the saints. Now, how many of you know we can't do righteous acts on our own? So this isn't talking about us glorifying ourselves here. These righteous acts come because of what Jesus did for us and because of his power that is at work within us. These righteous decisions come because of what he's doing in your heart and what he's doing in my heart. And the Bible says these righteous acts are the garments that the bride is going to wear. Think about that for a minute. That means every time you choose to do the thing that God is asking you to do by the power that he gives you to do it, that is a righteous act. Every time you choose to do that, listen, the bride gets a little more beautiful. Every time you choose to say no to that temptation by God's power, the garment of that bride gets a little more beautiful. Every time you choose as a Christian parent to love your kids, even though you want to choke the life out of them. 
Every time you choose, even though, you don't, even though it's tough and even though you don't wanna listen to them sometimes and even though you don't wanna walk through this thing with them, but you choose, instead of ignoring your children, you choose to love them through a tough time. Come on, the bride is getting more beautiful. Every single time you choose to reach out to somebody who seems to be unlovable or nobody wants to be around them and they're cast out and they're, they're ignored or they're dismissed by, by society. Every time you reach out to them, maybe somebody in your office, maybe somebody in the street, maybe somebody in your family, every time you choose to do that because of the motivation of God's spirit in you, the bride gets a little more beautiful. And at the end of all time, all of these choices that you're making every day, every week, combine together to be this garment that the bride wears that is glorified for all of eternity. Friend, don't ever think that the choices that you make today to love Jesus and to serve Jesus go unnoticed. No, they, they may go unnoticed in this world, but in eternity, there's gonna be that moment where the doors swing open and the whole world gets to see and glory and what God is doing in and through his people, the church. Can you say amen, everybody? This is one of those end time events. This is one of the things that God's gonna do, this incredible thing at the end of time. And so remember this week, when you make the right choice, the bride is being made a little more beautiful when you make the right choice. And can I tell you something about the marriage supper of the lamb, this event in heaven, let me just tell you right now, we gonna partay at this right here. This is gonna be one loud, giant party. Come on, can y'all imagine being in a perfect place in a glorified body where you can eat with no calories? I feel the anointing all over that right now. I promise you they're gonna serve Mexican food at the marriage supper of the lamb. I'm telling you they are. It's gonna be an amazing celebration. And so the first great event that we see is this wedding supper of the lamb. But the second event that I wanna show you is the second coming of Jesus Christ that happens directly after this. Now, when you hear the term the second coming of Christ, it's referring to a specific time when he comes and all the world sees him. That specific moment in time when he comes, not for just his church and his people to see him, but for all the whole world to see who he really is. As you start to read the rest of Revelation 19, you see in the second half of this chapter is a picture of the second coming of Christ when the world sees him. Jesus even talked about it in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24 and verse 30, Jesus said, then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Amen. And people have a lot of questions about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to know the, the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of all of it. I think many times when we talk about the second coming, the questions that are most important to us are the where and the when. You know, people want to know exactly when. Jesus said, I don't even know when. But we want to know when. But when you read the Bible, some of the most important questions are not the when or the where, but it's the why. Why is Jesus coming again? Which we've already answered this whole study in Revelation. He's coming again to bring his people to himself and to judge those who have refused to follow him. But the most important question when you look at the second coming is not any of those. The most important question is who? Everybody say who. More than anything, the Bible talks about who it is that's coming again. It's not just anybody. 
No, no, no. It's going to tell you who specifically this is that is coming. And we see this great picture in Revelation 19 of who this is. In verse 11, look what John says. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe that's been dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. That's us. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads the winepress of the fury of Almighty God. And then he goes on to say, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who we're talking about right here. I like that it says he got a name written on his thigh, just to shatter your legalism, Jesus had a tattoo. Just stop it already. Stop it already. Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh. says, King of Kings and Lord. It wasn't written with a Sharpie marker. How many believe it's permanent ink up in there? So get off it with the tattoos already. I got one too. So I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> in your note sheet, some of you are like, what is going on? Okay, in your note sheet, I've given you some descriptions that John talks about here. Look at it with me. First of all, he said, the one we're talking about is a rider on a white horse. Now, you gotta understand, the people of John's day that would have read this, they would have immediately identified that whole picture because whenever a Roman general had triumphed in battle, he would ride through the main streets of Rome in a procession. From the Roman Forum all the way to the Temple of Jupiter, there would be this great procession, and they always did it the same way. The spoils would be paraded, the spoils of war would be paraded first, and then the captives of the war would be paraded second as people are cheering on the sides of the street. And then right in the middle, right before the army and the family of the general would come the general himself, this conquering general and the general when he rode this victory parade to the streets of Rome he always rode a white horse so in John's day they would have seen this picture of a white horse and they would have known immediately this is a picture of victory how many believe Jesus rides with victory amen not victory that needs to be won come on he rides with victory that's already been won on the cross and the resurrection John also said that his name is faithful and true. Aren't you glad he's a faithful savior and a true savior? He also says that his eyes were bright like flames of fire. And I like this one. He says that on his head were many crowns. How many? All of them. Every single one of them. At the end of time, come on, Jesus gets all the crowns. A crown is a symbol of leadership. A crown is a symbol of, of someone's authority. Just think about how many crowns there are in the, have been in the history of our world. Not only the superpowers that we know about, but also the countries that we never even heard of. 
And not only countries, but how about, the, how about businesses and trophies of business? Not only businesses, but families and schools. Listen, every crown will be on his head at the end of time. Why? Because he's going to be the ruler of everything. Amen. Are y'all here today? I'm going to have fun with it without you. It's all good. How many of you remember the, how many of you know the board game Risk? Raise your hand. No, Jason, just you. Right? The board game Risk, it's a crazy game. It's a, it's, it's, it's a game of domination, world domination. You know, you got players and you have a board and the whole board is the map of the world. Everybody's got armies and weapons and you have to do this strategy to try to take over the world and annihilate your enemies and their armies. And this is kind of like war monopoly. It takes like four hours to play this game, right? And so my, my boys love it. They love playing Risk. I have a threshold with this stuff. Okay, it starts getting over two, three hours. Come on, parents, can you relate? Like you're done, right? And so I, I, there's been a couple times we played risk in the map of the world and we're battling and annihilating and we're not getting it and nobody's really winning. It's like two, three hours into this. There's been a couple of times I've just flipped the board over with all the pieces go flying everywhere and I just say, Jesus wins at the end. Now go brush your teeth and get ready for bed. The point is, at the end of time, that's exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what maneuverings we do on this earth. It doesn't matter who we think is powerful or who we think is Lord. At the end of time, the whole board is going to get wiped clean because Jesus is going to be Lord of all of it. And friends, that clock is running right now. I don't know when it's going to ding, but there's going to come a moment in human history when this happens. And when that happens, your Bible says every knee's going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you give him some praise today? Hallelujah. It's inevitable. It's irreversible. And every crown is going to be placed on his head. He gets all the crowns in the end. John also said that a name was written on him that only he understood. I like that. What I like about it is that it reminds me that even in heaven, at the end of time, there will always be some things about Jesus I don't understand. That's how great he is. There's a name only he understands. Hey, Jesus, what's that name? Don't worry about us. That's for me to know. That's just for me. Don't worry about it. Only he understands it. And then it says that he was wearing a robe that is dipped in blood. And we all know what this means. It's a picture of what happened on the cross. And throughout human history, and now throughout eternity, and eternal history, the blood of Jesus is glorified because it brings us to him. It draws us into relationship with him. And John said about who this is, that his title was the word of God. His title was the word of God. I like that. You need to understand who Jesus is. He is the living Word of God. If you recall in John chapter 1, the way John's gospel opens up, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes down to say that then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He is the Word of the living God. He manifested himself in this earth. This is why studying your Bible is so important. You need to understand, every time you open up your Bible, you're not opening up a book of just some good stories and good philosophies and good moral points of view. You are opening something that is living and breathing and can change your life. Every time you devour the word, you're devouring more of Jesus because he is the word of God. And John said he's also the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And after you read this description of who Jesus is, the Bible reveals that there's now another great battle that happens at the end of Revelation chapter 19. I wanna show it to you. It says in, in, in verses 17 through 21, John said, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out with a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet and who had performed all these signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The two of them were then thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and the rest were killed with the sword out of the mouth of the rider who was on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh. It's pretty dramatic, right? Pretty vivid imagery here. Interesting that the angel says, calls out to the birds of the air, get ready. You're about to have a feast of flesh unlike you've ever seen. If you recall, these words are echoed from the, from the mouth of a young David when he stood in the valley facing Goliath and he told him, this day the birds will eat your flesh. That God is bringing judgment. It's somewhat, this battle is somewhat like the battle of Armageddon that we read about earlier. And it has the same results. Obviously, anytime anyone battles God, how many of you know they're gonna lose? But apparently, human history is trying to learn this lesson one more time, as if it didn't learn it the last time. And so notice the progression here in Revelation 19. You move from wedding to war. You move from bride to battle. And in this battle, Jesus obviously emerges victorious. Evil is defeated. It's not eliminated yet. We're gonna find out in a moment. It's not eliminated yet. At the end of this chapter, Satan is locked up, but he's not destroyed yet. Let me show you what I mean. Now we turn the corner to chapter 20. And beginning in verse one, Revelation 20, John said, I saw an angel coming out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. This is important. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast of the, the worship of the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Pay attention to this. This is important. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. 
So if you're in the first resurrection, you're blessed and holy, which by converse means you don't want to be in the second one, in the second resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, what does this mean? This is bringing us the third great event of the end times, and this is this, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ in the earth. In Revelation 20, the verses that we just read, verses one through 10, you see this picture immediately of the thousand years of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. He will reign as king and Lord of all. He will govern everything in this earth for a thousand years. Can you imagine the world that Jesus governs? It'll be a perfect world where everything goes right. It'll be like Hawaii without tourists kind of a world. It'll be amazing. Now understand, there are a few different uh, views out there on what the millennial reign of Christ is and what it means, and I don't have time to get into all the theological different viewpoints of it. I will tell you this. Theologically, we subscribe to a premillennial view. What that means is this is the view of that Jesus comes again before the thousand year reign and then he sets up an earthly kingdom and there he rules for a thousand years and he reigns on this earth for a thousand years. I believe that is the predominant view that the Bible teaches. That God is, is gonna work in human history in an incredible way at the end of time and there will be this thousand years of an earthly reign of Jesus Christ in the earth. How many of you love to see that, right? Now, when we talk about this, some questions come up in people's mind. Why is there a need for a thousand year reign? Why does this happen? What is God trying to tell us about what's happening at the end of time? Why is there a thousand year reign? And why is there a first resurrection and a second resurrection? And how does this all tie together? Well, before I answer the question about the thousand year reign, you have to understand the first and the second resurrection. The Bible says that the first, there's gonna be a first resurrection where people will come back to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But it also says that many people will not be resurrected then. And some of you may be thinking, well, am I one of the ones that won't get resurrected? You know, am I gonna be like in a holding pattern for a thousand years? You know, what's up with that? What is God talking about here? Why is there a first and a second resurrection? In John's gospel, chapter five, Jesus actually taught about this. In John five, verse 28, Jesus said, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all are, who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good, watch this, will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be what? Condemned. So the Bible teaches, listen, everyone is resurrected at the end of time. Everyone. Watch, there's a resurrection to life and there is a resurrection to judgment. Right? Some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. Now it begins to, to get a little more clear. The Bible talks about a first resurrection and a second resurrection. When you read what Jesus taught about it, it clearly means that the first resurrection is when believers rise from the dead, but the spirits of those who don't know Christ are still in a holding place. 
You, it's a place called Hades or Sheol. You may have read that in scripture. That's what the name is for a place where people will be awaiting the final judgment that happens at the end of this thousand year reign of Christ when they are then resurrected to stand judgment. That's the second resurrection. Don't miss this because what this reminds us of is that death is not the great leveler of humankind. Death is the great divider of humankind. Because in death, there are some who will rise to life and there are some who are going to rise to judgment. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Here in the millennial reign, you see this picture very, very clear. And, and so there are questions about this. We read earlier about the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible teaches that when the rapture happens, they who are dead in Christ will rise at that moment. So we are resurrected before all of this. Not later, but when the rapture happens. That's the first resurrection. Then there's the time of tribulation. And then the thousand year reign of Christ. And then there's a second resurrection, which would be for those who became Christians during the great tribulation period that are then resurrected at this time. Most of us already are though. Then the people, there's people who have other questions about this. So let me just confuse you for a minute. If you aren't already, let me just confuse you. Are y'all still with me? If we are raptured and resurrected in the first resurrection, where do we hang out for the seven years during tribulation while we're going to wait for the other believers to be resurrected, the ones who became Christians during the tribulation? Where are we going to be? I'll tell you, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will have a seven-year party. It's going to be amazing, y'all. And then people wonder, well, if all believers are resurrected and there's a thousand year reign of Christ, what does that mean? That we're on the earth that's not quite perfect for a thousand years before there's a new heaven and a new earth that's created. Let me tell you what I think about all these questions, because we can sit here and start asking a bajillion questions about all this right? Let me tell you what I think about these questions. They remind us that we understand some things about what's going to happen, right? We don't understand everything that's going to happen, but don't miss the point that we are going to be resurrected in bodily form. We are going to reign with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. But if you try to get too much into the details about all this, listen, God hasn't given us all the details for a reason. We don't have all the details yet, I don't know about you, but I am I'm fully satisfied in my life to trust him with all those details. How about you, everybody? Right? I know some Christians who worry to death about all these details about the end times. How many believe that God gave us what he wanted to, us to know and that's all we need to know? There are certain things we're not going to figure out about all this. Hey, but the bottom line is we are going to live with him forever in resurrected bodies and we're going to reign with him forever. Can you say amen? Can you imagine a glorified body? Man, I just think, wow, a glorified body. You know what a glorified body is? Some of you might think, well, what is, it, what is, it, what is a glorified body going to be like? Scripture's given us a template for that. All you have to do is look at the glorified body of Jesus. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, you see that glorified body in action. What we see is that Jesus was resurrected in a glorified body. He was actually, he could be physically touched. He had emotion, he could see, he could talk, he could eat. Praise God. 
We're going to eat in heaven, y'all. Amen? I mean, he could, he could move through walls. He could transport by thought. All these different things that, that we see in a glorified, we're going to have a glorified body. And some of us are going to have hair. <laughs> Praise God. I really think that my glorified body, God has told me I'm going to look like the rock when I, when I get to heaven. That's, I think God put that man on the earth to show me this is what you have to look forward to. And uh, Selah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so... But you can't miss that truth. The fact that I don't know all the details says to me, it's not that I have something to worry about, it just means that I can trust God with my eternity. The fact that I don't have all the details tells me there's gonna be some surprises in store that we don't know. There's some things that God hadn't quite showed us yet because he doesn't need to. We don't need it for this earth, but I promise you it's gonna be amazing. Even the little bit that is shown here, just think of it, man, resurrected like Christ, glorified bodies, living and reigning and ruling with Jesus for a thousand years. That's what we have to look forward to. When the Bible talks about those who, who sat with him on the thrones to judge, scripture says that Jesus told his disciples, you're gonna sit with me on 12 thrones to judge the world. The Bible also says that you and I, as Christians, are going to judge in eternity. He says, we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge parts of the world. So God's going to give us responsibilities as we reign with him. He's going to have jobs for us to do, significant things that impact eternity that you and I can't even imagine right now. And yes, there are some surprises in the store. There is an eternity in store that we can't even imagine. And so that's why there's a first and a second resurrection. Listen, because there is a resurrection to life and there is a resurrection to judgment. The, the second question that people ask is, why is there a millennium? Why, why the thousand-year reign of Christ? I'll give you two reasons that that's going to happen in your notes. First of all, write this down. The first reason is so that God can fulfill his promises to the people of the earth. You see, God's made some promises throughout Scripture that he's going to have the opportunity to fulfill toward his people in the earth before the end of time. One of those promises that he's going to fulfill is a prayer that we, that's been prayed by God's people since the beginning of the church. And that is, Father, I pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it's already been done in heaven. Listen, the millennial reign is a time when that prayer is literally answered for a thousand years. What an incredible thing, God fulfilling his promises, but also why the millennium? So God can show the real and terrible nature of our sin. I'm gonna show this to you. I mean, to show us what it's really, really like. So watch, because you, you, gotta, you, you gotta follow me on this, because there's a thousand years of peace. There's a thousand years of blessing a thousand years of Christ's rule, a thousand years where Satan is being shut up in prison. He has no influence on this world whatsoever. But then at the end of that thousand years, the Bible says that Satan is let free again for a season and there will still be many on this earth who, who follow him. What happened? I mean, how does that even happen? 
Don't miss the fact that what happens at the end of the millennium is probably the most important thing about the whole millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Why would God have there be a thousand years of Christ's reign and then let Satan free at the end of the thousand years? Don't miss this. I'll tell you why. Because he's trying to show us at the end of history what we need to know in our now history. And what you and I need to know now is we have a fallen nature. What we need to know now is it's not the devil made me do it. It's not even the world around me made me do it. Well, if they just didn't have movies like that and they didn't have the internet and they didn't have you know social media, I wouldn't be in all this bad stuff. No, this is about in a perfect world with Jesus as the ruler, everything is right in the world, but there are still people who won't come to Christ and who won't follow him. When Satan is released, again, there are still people who will immediately attach themselves to him because that's where their heart is. And so God is showing us the real and terrible nature of our sin. And it's hard to believe. It's very hard to believe, very hard to believe the fact that we really are evil in our nature. And we really do need Jesus to set us free from that evil very hard for us to believe that we have this fallen nature and it's so deceitful and that our hearts are deceitful and our mind is deceitful. It's hard for us to believe that we have this fallen nature, but we can see it in our own life. We think, man, why was I, why was I so selfish? Why did I only think of myself in that situation? Why could I not let go of those thoughts? Why did I get angry at that? How, how did that anger so quickly rise up in my life in that situation? How could I have acted that way? How could I have said that? How could I have hurt that person? How could I have looked at that? How could I have gone there? I'll tell you why. Why did this happen? I'll tell you why. Because we need Jesus to forgive us of our sin and to set us free from our sin. That's why. If you ever think that you don't need him, if you ever think that somehow, you know, we don't need him, that we can just become better and better all by ourselves, there is no better event to deny that humanistic philosophy than the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The world is perfect, and still people don't follow him. I mean, during the time of tribulation, the world was falling apart in complete chaos and utter tor- t- torment, and people won't turn to Jesus then, and they actually blamed him for it. But during the millennial reign, the world is perfect and people still won't follow Jesus. No, the Bible says they follow Satan when he's released and allowed to come back into the earth. This is a clear picture of the fact we need Jesus in our life every day. Come on, how many believe that you need more of Jesus today than you did yesterday? We need him every moment of every day. You know the old argument that it's nature versus nurture? You know, which is it? Is it your nature? Is it the environment you're in? Let me tell you, that argument is settled at the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's nature. It's not the nurturing of the environment. It's our heart. And that's, that's why we need to know we need a savior. We need somebody who can set us free from sin. How many of you know that we need a new heart? Amen? That's why... In the next chapter we're going to talk about next week, that's why we're going to see that God creates a new heaven and a new earth so that new people can live the kind of life that God always purposed us to live. By the way, you don't want to miss next Sunday when we talk about that. It is fabulous. Now, in this final battle with Satan, 
we see a couple of nations that are mentioned here and their old enemies named Gog and Magog. And I don't have time to get into who that is because there are so many scholarly interpretations of that. But these are also described in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. They are the old enemies of Israel. Let me show what the Bible says though. In chapter 20, verse seven through 10, it says, John said, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. <laughs> this is great. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Watch how fast this battle lasts. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Like God ain't playing. All this pomp and circumstance and all this marching across the breadth of the earth to go and make war against God and his people. And God just looks down and goes, done. And then it says the devil who deceived them is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where his buddy the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This battle right here is a reminder of the fact that there's always gonna be people who will not say that Jesus is Lord even to the very end. Friends, when I see the real deal about how terrible sin is, how deceitful sin is, how people can be fooled, even when Christ is reigning on the earth, when I see that, I don't know about you, but it makes me want to do something about my sin issue. It really does. So let me ask you, what are you gonna do about your sin issue? What are you gonna do about realizing that it is deceitful and it can tear your life completely apart? That what you're thinking is not always the right thing. That what seems right to you can be dreadfully wrong, terribly wrong. What are you gonna do about that? How are you gonna let God's word speak to you? What are you going to do about your sin problem? How are you gonna let God lift you out of that? As you ponder that question, it brings us to a fourth event, incredible event that we see, and that is the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. And this is a powerful event, and it's a dreadful event. In fact, let me just preface this by telling you, you don't want to be at this judgment. This is not a judgment where there's door number one and door number two. This is a judgment where there's only one option. This is a judgment where the dead are brought to life for one purpose, that is to be judged and to be condemned to an everlasting torment of hell. Let me show it to you, verses 11 and 12. John said that I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw... The dead, this is important. Everybody say the dead. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead, that's an important part. You can't, you gotta staple that. The dead were judged, watch this, according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged, again, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades itself 
were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Interestingly, this says that the dead, everybody said the dead, the dead are judged according to what they had done. Now hang on, aren't we supposed to be judged according to our faith? Aren't we supposed to be judged according to whether we've asked Jesus into our lives or not? Yet here in Revelation, the Bible says the dead are gonna be judged according to their deeds. Well, I got good news for you this morning. If you're a believer, you're not gonna be here for this judgment at all. You know why? Because you are not the dead, you are the alive. Hallelujah. The moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, God made you alive in Jesus Christ. When the Bible speaks of the dead, it's talking about people who don't know him, those who are spiritually dead. Anybody glad that you're alive today in Jesus, amen? Jesus even talked about this passage. He talked about all this in John chapter five and verse 24. Jesus said, I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. Watch this, but they have already passed from death into life. If you're a believer, you've already crossed over. Come on, somebody say amen. And here's the reality. You can settle this issue that's going to be dealt with at the great white throne judgment. You can settle this issue now or you can settle it later. Right now, you can settle the issue of passing from death to life by simply saying, Jesus, forgive me. I surrender my life to you. So understand Believers are not going to be standing with this mass of humanity at the great white throne judgment worrying about whether they're going to go to heaven or hell or not. No, you're not going to be in that mass of humanity. You're going to be in the mass of humanity that's already alive. You're not part of the dead. You've already passed from death into life. And the truth is, that's not only true of you as a believer, it's also true of everyone that you have led to Christ. That's the power of sharing the gospel. Come on. That's the power of sharing the good news of Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't want anybody I know to be in the mass of the dead. I don't want anybody I know to worry about their salvation. Come on. I want everybody I know to know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life and they don't have to face this judgment at the end of time. Now, don't miss this because if I depend on what I've done, if I depend on my works, that I am truly, eternally dead. I will be there for this great white throne judgment because it doesn't matter how many good works we've done. All the good works we do, they're still not good enough to be allowed into a perfect place like heaven with a holy God. I mean, the slate could be totally clean except for one sin in your whole life and it would be enough for you to find out that you're here at this great white throne judgment. But... If I depend instead, not on my works, but on what Jesus has already done, then I am truly, eternally alive, and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, not because of what I've done, but because of the grace of God on my life. Amen. It's not something that I, we glory in ourselves in. It's something we praise him for. 
It's something we invite other people into. Come on, is anybody glad today that you've passed from death into life? Come on, somebody. Are you glad that you're already there? That's why, listen, that's why we don't live our Christian life afraid of what might happen someday. We have nothing to fear. We live appreciative of what he's already done for us. He's already given you eternal life. Now, the quality of, of that eternal life is definitely going to get a whole lot better when you get a glorified body. There's no doubt about that. But as a believer, listen, we're living the eternal life that he's given us right now. That's the whole point. As a believer, death is not an exit. Death is an entrance. As a believer, we really don't ever die. We live on forever in the presence of God. Isn't that good news, everybody? That's great news. So let me show you some pictures of Jesus just for a minute. Just I'm going to tie all of this up this morning. We've gone through a lot. But let me just tie it all together for you so you can just see it in one snapshot, some pictures of Jesus. First of all, in the wedding supper we talked about, Jesus is the groom. He's the one who loves the church, us. He's the one. He is the groom. Then in the second coming, we see that Jesus is a picture of Jesus as Lord. Everybody say Lord. He is the only one that you can depend on. He is the only one who has all power for all of eternity. Jesus at the wedding supper is our groom. But Jesus, Jesus in the second coming is our Lord. Then in the millennium, it gives us a picture of Jesus as king. Everybody say king. He is king. He rules over the entire earth. And he does it perfectly, of course. And then at the great white throne judgment, the picture is Jesus is judge. Everybody say judge. Now just look at these pictures. Let's look at them with me. Look at these pictures. Jesus is the groom. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is the judge. Watch this. A wedding is a picture of acceptance. Do you need that today? to realize that Jesus accepts you and that he loves you just the way you are. The second coming is a picture of victory. Do you need that today? To remember that no matter what happens, no matter what's been done to you this week, Jesus is gonna be victorious in the end. The thousand year reign is a picture of authority. Do you need to remember today that no matter what, God is in control. And the great white throne is a picture of justice. Listen, as, as evil is in this world and it looks like people are seemingly getting away with evil left and right, it's not true. Remember, there's a payday someday. One day the bill will come due. One day all accounts will be settled. Friends, there will be a day at the great white throne where everything is made right and God has the last word. Acceptance, victory, authority, and justice. Don't you see Jesus is everything we need? Come on, Jesus, you accept us. Jesus, you offer us your victory. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus, one day, everything will be made right. That is the last word in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, say amen today and give him some praise. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, no one moving about. Reverence this moment.
God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray. I pray, God, that you would help us as your people to keep our eyes fixed on eternal things, to keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, to get our eyes off this world. This world is full of dangers and evils and horrors, and it's gonna get worse. God, help us to lift our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. (laughs) Jesus, you said when you begin to see these things come to pass, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws near. God, I really believe that we're living in an age, in a time where we can sense prophetic fulfillment coming quickly. This earth is groaning with birthing pain. but it's so great to know that of all of human history, you chose us to be alive in this hour, in this time, because I really believe this is the church's greatest hour. We're entering it right now, and we're going to get to see things that nobody else got to to see in entire church history. We're going to be a part of some miraculous things. God, help us to keep ourselves centered. Help us to keep our faith nurtured. Relationship with you every day. Talking with you. Devouring your word. Letting your spirit move through us to touch humanity around us. To be light in in the dark world that we live. To be salt in an unsavory world. As your people. In Jesus' name. Just remain in prayer just for one moment. I asked you a question a few moments ago. And that is, now that you know how terrible the sin issue is, it's not, it's not nurture, it's not your environment, it's nature, it's within you. We're all, we're all consumed with it because of the fall of Adam and Eve. We all have a sin nature. Now that you know how powerful and deadly it is, I asked you a question earlier. I'm going to ask it again. What are you going to do about your sin issue? What are you going to do about it? You're just going to keep it to yourself? Just keep rocking along with your life because you have all the answers and you kind of do your own thing. And I come to church because it's kind of a religious checkbox. But really, I'm not carrying this outside the walls of the church. I'm doing my own life. My sin issue is my sin issue, and I like it. I don't need nobody's help with it. My friend, you are racing toward a great white throne where there will be among you billions of dead, where there will be no hope, and there will be no answer. There will be no redemption. There will be no second chance. All the crying, all the begging, all the screaming, All the crying out to God for mercy will be over. The books will be closed, the account will be settled, and there's only one option after that, and that is that you will be condemned to an everlasting torment in a place called hell. In that moment, you won't be able to blame God because God didn't send you there. You sent yourself. How did I send myself? 
because you sat in services like this where you heard the gospel declared or you turned online as you are right now on that screen and you heard the gospel declared and you hardened your heart to it. And God in his mercy gave you today. Where's the mercy of God in all that? It's today. It's right now. Some of you came here, not even because you wanted to, but you fought through that headache and you don't even know why you came. Or you gave in to the pressure of a friend or a loved one and you came just to please them. You see, you thought you came for other reasons, but God has you here by divine appointment because he loves you. You're watching online right now. You don't even know why you clicked on. You don't even know anything about our church. You know what? I don't care if you know anything about our church. I just want you to know Jesus. I don't care if you know a thing about Vibrant. I want you to know Jesus. I don't care about the name on the building. I care about that you know Jesus. Some of you clicked onto this broadcast right now and you're sitting on the other side of that screen and you have no idea why you clicked on today, but I do. It's because God's given you mercy right now. It's his grace. And right now, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, your heart is pounding and you're feeling an an unrest in your soul because you know that you're not in right relationship with him. And he's convicting you. And I beg you, my friend, I beg you today, do not harden your heart to the spirit of God. I beg of you. I want you one day to rise to life, (laughs) not rise to judgment. If you're here in this room or you're listening online, watching, or maybe you're listening to the radio, and you just say, you know what, I wanna make sure that I know that I'm right with him. I want a fresh start with God. Maybe I've just been playing church all this. You know, I believe in God, I I believe in the Bible, and I go to church, I don't care about any of that. I didn't ask you if you knew about him. I'm asking, do you know him? Do you know him personally, daily? a relationship. When you stand before him one day, are you going to be a stranger or are you going to be family? That's what I'm asking you. If you can't answer that question, my friend, you're in the right place today. (laughs) Because today is going to be the beginning of an amazing life. Reborn in the fullness of Christ. And if that's you this morning and you say, yes, pastor, I want a fresh start with God. I want to feel forgiven. I want to feel the grace and mercy of God in my life. I want to know that I know that I'm right with him. I want to pray with you right where you sit today with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. Come on, all over this room. Come on, lift it up high. Lift it bold. Don't be ashamed. Just say yes to Jesus. All over this room, hands going up. Thank you, Jesus, for the harvest. Oh, God, we return your harvest to you today. You paid for it with your blood. I want to pray with you right now if you raised your hand. We're going to pray with you as a church family. I want you to mean this from your heart. Come on, everyone praying out loud right now. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender my whole heart completely to you. Fill me with your spirit and teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Come on, can we just erupt with praise to God today for people coming to Jesus? Oh, bless your name, Lord. 
bless your name. Hey, listen, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer with me, do me a favor right now. Would you just take that connection card to the seat back in front of you? Would you just pull that out? Would you let us know who you are? I want to know who you are. I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. It'll take you like a second to fill out your information. Just put your name. Check the box that applies. Hey, I, I gave my life to Jesus or, or, or I, I recommitted my life to Christ. Whatever it is, we want to know. We want to be praying for you and want to reach out to you and maybe share with you some next steps that we have here at Vibrant to help strengthen you in your relationship with Jesus. Man, we're so, so very excited for you. You can take that card in just a moment and you can place it in one of the offering containers that the ushers are holding in the exit ways. Just walk by and drop it in there and we're going to be praying for you and celebrate with you. So I want to reach out and contact you as well and see how we can be a source of strength in your life. And church, I say it frequently, but I can't say it enough. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being so faithful to the Lord, especially during this season, for continuing to be faithful in your generosity, in your giving. Thank you for honoring and obeying his word to return the tithe to him, to give offerings even above and beyond so we can see us make a difference in people's lives for all of eternity. I wish I had the time to stand up here and tell you the testimonies that are happening right now in this city because of your generosity and the people that are coming to Jesus, not just here on Sundays or Wednesdays, but all over the week we're seeing God do amazing things because of you. And so thank you, church, for making an eternal difference, for investing in the lives of people. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. We freely receive today. I want us to freely give before we leave. And there's ways you can do that. If you're in the building, you can use the envelopes, if you wish, in the seat back in front of you. You can just fill them out. And on your way out the exit, there's ushers with containers. Just give as you go. Just drop it in as you leave. If you're here in the room or online, you want to give, there's a couple other ways you can partner with us. One is by our website. You can go to to vibrantchurch.com slash giving and it'll help you with some secure steps to give there. You can also do text to give, which is what a lot of people do. You can text the word vibrant to 77977 and you can partner with us in your generosity to the Lord that way and God will use it to make a difference in the lives of other people. And how many believe God can bless you way more than you can ever give to him? Amen. And he blesses the generous he really does. So thank you for partnering with us. Would you stand to your feet this morning and before you rush out the door, let me just pray a blessing over your life. Would you just open up your hands today? Come on, all over the room, just open up your hands and receive this. Come on, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. We'll see you Wednesday night, Facebook Live, 7 o'clock. God bless you.